representative uh, for the Waco ISD School Board for District Career Subcircle, uh, Mr. Jose Vidania, if you could please stand and wave. Thank you so much for being here. We have a great lineup for you. Uh, I know I didn't introduce all the city staff because some of them will be speaking to you earlier, uh, later on to this evening, but we have a great lineup for you. I'm very excited about the things that we're going to discuss. A few housekeeping rules, if you don't mind. I was told that the double doors back there, if you would be so graciously not to go through them, the alarm will go off. And so if you'll do me a favor, let's just stay on this side. The restrooms are located on this side, so as you're, if you need to go to the restrooms as you're exiting, before the double doors, the men is on your left-hand side, the women's on your right-hand side. There's also snacks back there, um, some pizza here, and so thank you so much. But I don't want to uh, take away from the, the presentations that are going to take place, but I do want to thank you. I want to thank each and every one of you for making it a priority to be here. I want to thank all the neighborhood associations. In fact, I'm almost positive that almost all of them are represented here. So we have the Downtown Neighborhood Association represented here. We have the Kendrick Neighborhood Association represented here. We have the Alta Vista Neighborhood Association represented here. So thank you so much for, for being in attendance. If you're not involved in your local neighborhood association, please get involved. It is some great things going on. Uh, there are some, uh, some very cool and creative and innovative thoughts that are coming behind these meetings and it's just a great way to get informed and, and get involved and so I encourage you um, if you're uh, I'm gonna ask Andrew and Amber to please stand up because those are our, our presidents that are present here today so please if you if you're looking to get involved now without further ado I believe you are the first presentation correct uh, let me make sure. Uh, no, I take it back. I'm sorry, Jonathan. I'm sorry. That's right. I said it back. I am gladly, it's my honor to present Mr. Bradley Ford, Assistant City Manager. We, he is going to talk about the Floyd Casey site and what's upcoming for that. I know there's been a lot of discussion. I know a lot of people have reached out to me as to what the plans are. And so, Bradley, thank you for being here this evening. Baylor builds 
once a, a beautiful new home on the banks of the Brazos, and it left um, a site that, that needed to be redeveloped. Uh, at that point, it was in Baylor's hands, and the city and Baylor arranged a, a land swap in which Baylor demolishes the stadium and does environmental cleanup, and then switches the land over to city ownership. Um, and so you've got the site there, everybody knows it, um, as it currently sits, pretty vacant and empty, and anybody who lives around it probably would love to see some other things going on. And so that's what I'm here to talk to you about tonight, is what is our approach to get development to occur on the Floyd Casey site. It's an interesting site. It's about 105 acres of total property. Um, we kind of divided it up on this map in three different parcels. There's the parcel where the Hart Patterson track is that I've shown in, in the 38 acres uh, near the railroad where the creek kind of traverses through. There's the main portion, the 61 acres where the stadium and most of the parking used to sit. And then there's also a four acre track that, that the city of Waco owns that's in within the corporate limits of Beverly Hills. developers to propose what they might want to build on Floyd Casey. And we want to turn all your ideas in, turn in your development, and then we'll work through a process by which the community can have input as well as the staff and the council of what is the best thing to happen on this site. As part of that RFP, what we call it RFP process, uh, we, we came up with some development preferences. We weren't real particular in saying there has to be 200 homes and 20,000 square feet of retail and an office building. What we did is we, we tried to be flexible enough that developers could have uh, creativity, and, and but it needed to be in alignment with the city's comprehensive plan, which is the document that the community and staff and council worked on a few years back that said this is the development vision for Waco. And so the, the, the items you see bullet pointed here are those kind of those flexible components. So we said developers, as you're thinking and getting creative, this is what we'd like you to think on. So you see we have the concept of mix of home ownership and rental. Uh, the area surrounding the Floyd Casey site has census tracts with 75% rental occupancy. And so we'd like to come in and see probably a, an inverse relationship of home ownership. There'll still be opportunities probably for some rental within the site, but it'll be a predominantly home ownership based uh, setup is our preference but also built for a range of incomes, because we also know that in the core of the city there's, there's good job opportunities, um, there's good transit, and there's, there needs to be good housing as well. And, and good housing is housing for all, housing for, for low, moderate, and high income individuals. Um, so you see some of the imagery I selected here. This, most of this is out of uh, what's called hometown in Northwestern Hills. Uh, I think if, if, if I said, Money wasn't an object, um, and you said, Bradley, what would you sketch out on this property for Waco and for the neighborhood surrounding? I, I'd, I'd look at a development like hometown. It's very well connected from a parks infrastructure standpoint. I think this site has a lot of potential from a connectivity, from a hike and bike connectivity standpoint. With the track, with the, and I'll talk in a moment about our plans to connect this site all the way back to the Brazos River. 
all the way back to our trails on the Brazos River, and then ultimately all the way down to the new areas that are developing along the Cotton, the cotton Belt um, Creek. Cottonwood. Cottonwood. Thank you, Bobby. My boss is here. It's not performance review time, though. Um, but you can imagine, right? All the way from University High, effectively, working your way all the way up Cotton, Cottonwood Creek, through this site, and then ultimately down to the Brass River uh, on your bike, or on, if you're willing to run that far, I'm not. Um, and this is what I, that's kind of what I was showing here is that this this property shown here. So here's Floyd Casey, and this is actually a product of our Great Parks Department. I think Tom's in the room. There he is back there. That, Tom, wait, wait your hand because you're not speaking about it, are you? Tom is our parks planner, and so parks. Uh, Tom is really working on the connectivity of how do you get from the Brazos River to Floyd Casey and points beyond. And you think about that. You could you could really be talking about a 15 to 20 mile trail network by the time we're over and done with. And that's just something that could really set apart uh, the city of Waco, and particularly the core of Waco, mm -hmm. and really bring back folks from the edges of our town into WISD and into the core of the city. And so listen to me and say that's, that's one of our goals as we think about the development of this process. Um, so let's, uh, Cowboys fans? <laughs> yes. Yes. Still, okay, you still admit it. I know my fire chief up there, so that's how Y'all remember what Jason Gary always says? He says, trust the process. Uh, so here's the development process. When I open, I do. <laughs> you know, so we did acquire the property, uh, or, you know, Baylor vacated and demolished in 2014 and 2017. We acquired the property. We released this RFP in early August. Um, and then we had a pre-submittal meeting where we invited developers in and said and had a question and answer time. And that was on August the 27th. We actually had a really good turnout. We had developers from all over Texas um, and quite a number. And they had, they had great questions. And they asked probably very similar questions that we're going to ask this evening, which is, what do you really want to see out of this site? What are you, what are you aiming for? And we used that time to just share the vision share what the council's expectations are, um, and then they have an opportunity between that meeting and December 16th to get their proposals together. And so their proposals will come back to the city uh, in mid-December. We'll have an internal team um, that's made up of like our, our economic development team, our city planning team, our engineering team, our staff members that, that effectively kind of score out which ones of these. What about the people? Well, that's, that's a great question. And we'd like to be there so we can see what plans are presented. You know, you have a great council member that has been all over me about that. <laughs> have you been talking to him? We've been all over him. We've been all over him. <laughs> so, I, I think it's important because uh, usually staff comes up with his own idea and says, okay, here's what you're going to get. But we didn't want that. We, we want to have an opportunity to look at the plans and, and have those, those individuals discuss those plans like in a meeting here. Uh, because South Waco is going to be the one impacted. So maybe we can have a meeting closer to it, like maybe the community center. And so that, that people, it'll be closer to people to come down there. There's several churches there that can be used. Mm -hmm. uh, but before it's turned in for staff's final approval, because that's what always happens, they need to come to us for our final approval. I think that's great. That's great feedback. And I think that's consistent with, uh, yeah. with what 
but Councilmember Cepedo has uh, been leaning in on, on the staff work. <coughs> Um, so, as we work through the, the rest of this process, it sounds like we may need to switch up one of these bullet points, is what I'm hearing. Um, so the next step would have been that the uh, responses come in in December, uh, and typically what we do, the staff would, would, would grade those and say, which one of these is most in alignment with the comprehensive plan? Um, which one of these is most in alignment with the development vision that the people have come up with in the comprehensive plan? And then we would have the council select what we call a primary developer and give them a window of time to negotiate a, a deal. And that's at which point we would come, the time in which we'd come to the community and, and have a discussion about, does this, does this meet the expectations of the neighborhoods surrounding that are, are the primary impacted individuals? Um, and the way that works through the process is assuming all that goes well, the development team engages the community late in 2020 is when we would be looking to execute an actual development agreement between the city and a potential developer. And then they would go into design and engineering. So what I'm showing you here is this is not a, this is not a quick process that has to be gone through. Um, there's many steps that I've not even listed it's worse. Uh, and at best, we're really looking at 2022 before on the ground development could even start. And likely that's gonna shift, and as y'all know, with the riverfront development and other types of public-private partnerships, Complications get that happen along the way. Alright, my contact info is listed. Um, are we doing questions or not? Yes, I would like to have questions. The first one was, was one that I, I think that yeah. we really appreciate. And, and just to answer your, your question, Robert, I, I agree with you 100%. The community. And I know staff, Bradley, Wiley, they're all on board about getting community feedback. We, I have talked to some individuals across the street already from, you know, I've already begun those conversations, uh, but, I, but I definitely want it to be on a larger scale where we have more people, especially that live around that area, uh, you know, involving the University Neighborhood Association because that's their area that, that pertains to them and, and really just, getting those conversations started with the community members to see what do you want to see here. And so uh, that will take place. I want to assure you that that will take place. But will we have a chance to meet whenever the plans, uh, whenever the developers meet with, with staff, planning staff? Yeah, so... so like it like, sounds like there's going to be a committee involved. We'd like to be part of absolutely, that committee. Absolutely. It, it, this, this guy would be a good member right here. <laughs> so, so yes, I mean it's going to be community involvement. Absolutely. Yeah.
developer, you know, it's out for RFP, so we'll see what a developer necessarily proposes, and, and that's where city staff and the developer sit around the table and say, we really would like to see these things happen on this property. They may have a different place on the property than we envision, so there might be some moving and, and discussions about that. But our parks team has said, um, certainly they see a lot of good synergy for those two, for the Challenger fields and the inclusive park to be a part of this bill. Since he's sticking my head in there, um, he's volunteering. Yeah, volunteering. <laughs> it, do you see this as the highest and best use as a residential development? Well, the land use plan certainly shows a mix of uses. You know, the future land use plan, which you, you probably know as well as anybody in the room. Um, I think that anytime we have 70 to 100 acres in the core, it's probably our best chance to get quality housing. And potentially some uh, uh, a bit of affordable housing in the core. Uh, so when I think of highest and best use, you know, that's a goal that we're hearing consistently. We hear in the comprehensive plans we need quality housing, and there needs to be a range of prices. Um, now, could it be a we could hold out for 30 years and do a, an office park or an industrial park? I guess I guess potentially. Are you, are, are you still open for additional ideas? Challenge to us. We've got a team of individuals that are, I can tell you, we're excited. 
We're excited because the council that we have in April of 2019 made a huge commitment to making a difference in our pavement system. Our transportation system gets us from point A to point B, and I use it every day, and my family does. But when you use it, you want to make sure that you're safe, that you're able to get from point A to point B and not be locked in like what we are with I-35 right now. You want to be able to travel safely, be timely, and make sure that your investment in that uh, transportation mode is uh, what you need. Uh, 630 centerline miles, it's a huge effort. Uh, we originally, in 2015, when I started the city of Waco, we received anywhere from three to five million uh, worth of investment in the street program. Uh, we weren't making a lot of change, and I'm sure if you lived back here, you know, before that time, you just didn't see a lot of improvement. We did try to do preservation at that time, but you just can't do a lot unless you have the funding to make a difference. With our council making the investment, in 2018, we received 17.1 million. So you can see the improvements. That's why our excitement we have in public works is where it is today. Moving on to what our council's commitment was in 2019, we received 28 million. So I can tell you with 28 million, we've got a team of individuals that are committed to our street network. That's not just people making decisions from the engineering world, but that's people from the street operations and maintenance working side by side with us. I just wanted to show you a little bit about where District 2 has been, where we're headed, and then I do want to highlight something today. So let me start by when uh, we restructured with the type of money we had, we think that community feedback is essential to making sure we make right decisions with the money that we receive. So I'd like to introduce Teresa Bryant. She's our community outreach coordinator. We haven't had that in public works, but we think it's a huge investment to making sure we're going in the right direction. What I'd say is you get a chance to meet Teresa tonight, that would be great. She has cards available. And what we're looking for from Teresa's role is to hear your feedback, to hear what roads you think can make a difference. And I can tell you before we get to Dutton, the reason we have chosen Dutton is because when we go to the Neighborhood Association meeting, y'all had an outcry that Dutton was in very poor shape. And we definitely agree, and you'll see some of the numbers that are going into Dutton as we move forward. This is our Better Streets Waco website. So you can go to that website by typing in any search engine, Better Streets Waco. What we're going to see is if you go to this website, you have an icon here that you can click on, and it shows you what's going on throughout the city of Waco. So we move to, dist to District 2, that's the blue highlighted area. This is the 1819 plan. Covers, uh, you can see, six uh, neighborhood associations. What we committed in 1819 is $2.4 million to 4.8 centerline miles of roadways. Well, this is the list of roadways, and I'm, I'm pretty proud to tell you today that the only one we haven't completed is 26th Street. So if you try to go down 26th Street, I apologize. <laughs> But it is a challenge because it's a combination project where we have utilities, we have infrastructure such as curb and gutter, we have driveway approaches, and then eventually we will get to pavement. So be patient with us. But all the other projects, uh, they have been completed and we'll be moving into 1819. Uh, six of the projects, preservation is huge to our network, so that means you take a good street and you keep it good. 
what you'll find in District 2 is a lot of older infrastructure with poor subgrade, uh, full, poor soil conditions. So you've got a lot of movement. And I'm sure if you drive the roads enough, you know, and you can tell me more than I could probably tell you tonight. You even see the concrete sections in District 2 starting to heave and push and, and settle. So there's concerns there, but in 1819 we did two rehabilitation projects. And I wanted to compare where we were in 1819 versus 1920. You can see with the type of roads that we're going to be doing an investment into in your district is that we're having to do more reconstruction. We're not doing preservation. Preservation will cost you about $3 a square yard. Reconstruction will cost you about 80 to 90 a square yard. So you can see what we projected in 1920 to accomplish is about the same center line miles that we had before, but the investment from 2.4 is now went up to about $7 million. So of our 28 million that the council's given us for the entire city, we're gonna be putting about $7 million into your district. This is a highlight of the roads that are in 1920. You can see the big players. We've got Franklin, we've got Dutton Avenue. These are the other projects uh, that are in that list. One thing that's interesting about Austin Avenue, we already have plans ready. When we talk about Fifth Street, we have plans ready. So we've got some projects that are about ready to move forward and go into construction. With the amount of construction that we have going on in the city of Waco and then complemented by the county and TxDOT, we gotta be very strategic that we don't landlock you into places that you want to go. So, when I talk to you about uh, Franklin, what I tell you before we get into those slides is Washington Avenue is on our list. We don't think it's a good investment in our, in our neighborhoods or our culture to have those two roads under construction at the same time, Washington and Franklin. So Franklin, we're progressing with that project. We're gonna get design done. We're gonna get, get it where it's ready to move forward. But we'll wait on Washington to get complete before we move that project through construction. So with the project, uh, we also have some grants that we're working in the background in District 2, and I think that's very important to understand. Uh, Textile had a call for projects in uh, fall, and, and I may have talked to many of you about support letters and talking to your schools in the area. We wrote three grants, Cesar Chavez, South Waco, and Alta Vista. And we think those are great, what they're called as safer routes to school. It's about kids that are kindergarten through eighth grade providing them transportation opportunities, but more than that, it's health opportunities to get up in the morning, be active, and be a good player at the school system. I know my son, he walks to school a lot, he loves it, he thrives off it. When he doesn't get to walk, I can tell you, those teachers are in trouble. <laughs> when we talk about those campuses, I just wanted to highlight where we're at. This is Alta Vista. You can see how the kids are having to intermingle with traffic, so we feel like, in the city of Waco that if we get the grants, that's great. We will cherish that, we'll move those forward. If we don't get the grant, we've learned so much about these particular campuses that we can start making educated decisions on what we can do in small structured uh, changes. So Alta Vista, the type of money we're talking about, that project as a whole is $583,000. We're looking at $533,000 in federal government and about $50,000 will be used with city funds. Moving to Cesar Chavez, 
kind of the same mix. You got a lot of kids in and around. Uh, if you've ever witnessed this in the morning and, and it is a little bit chaotic, everybody trying to get to the school at 7.30 to 7.50, kids are just intermingled with bus traffic, people parking, teachers trying to get to where they need to be. So we're trying to clean up that by more connecting where we have open space. Because a lot of the kids are walking in the street. Type of money we're looking at there, pretty substantial investment. If we were to get this, would be great. Uh, federal government, 1.2 million. Local investment by the city is 116,000 for a total project of a million three. Then we talk about South Waco. I think most of you, if you've been around South Waco, we are making changes there. We got a grant some time back. Construction's very close to being complete. Uh, we're working with Contractor Daily to make sure we get what we want out of the project. So you may see them tearing out some things that you think are complete, but there's a reason for it. We really want, the, if we're going to pay for it, we want the contractor to do it right. So we're close with that project. But we still see this type of issue, especially around the library. If you look at the release of all those kids that go to the library, and there's not a positive connection to the library. There's also not a positive connection up 21st Street. We think there's apartments there. We need to provide accommodations. And this project would do that. They have money. They're out there working every single day on that. <coughs> you can see that they're working every single day. And it's every getting cold. And it, yes. <laughs> and they're still working out there. So the type of money we're looking at here, the project that we have under construction right now is a million dollar project. It's about 500000 uh, from the federal government, it's about 500000 from the city of Waco. So you can see we've made a huge commitment into that neighborhood. But we think there's more to be done, so this project would be about $538,000 in improvement. When we talk about Franklin, I've got a few photos here. This is usually when I'd say it's more dense, uh, when, when we got travel to and from. It's a very wide corridor, it's called an arterial, which means it provides you a connection from neighborhoods into the downtown area, a very vital cog to how we travel into the downtown area from, I live on what I call the south end of town, and I travel Franklin every day. It's very important to me, and it's very important to my family. What we're looking at is we're looking at a project, and we've got engineering started that would do a two-way conversion from 18th Street all the way to 4th. Fourth to the river would be mill and overlay. So we think there's pavement needs all the way through that corridor before we start losing that corridor to complete what we call complete failure. What complete failure means is we didn't prefer preserve the structure of the roadway below the pavement. But we think that there's work that needs to be done to Franklin and we want to move the project forward as rapidly as we can. We think we need to enhance the corridor for development. You see still a lot of vacant building. It's starting to infill more, but you still see a lot of vacancy. Again, we want to do direct connects from neighborhoods on the south to the north, but if you have two-way, then I don't have to use it just to go into downtown, because I don't travel home on Franklin. I usually have to use Washington, uh, Washington or Waco Drive. And then, potentially, we can control a little speed. That's probably the biggest concern we hear. And I drive Franklin, and I hear everybody complain about seven and you have to stop at it, but there's a reason for that, because I drive too fast. If you give me long stretches, I'm gonna go fast. So 7th Street is the way we now control uh, speed, but we wanna do a lot more improvements to that. So these are the options that have been at public events. 
Uh, as you can see, the existing corridor is four lanes, one direction with parking on each side. And then these are three other options, various. We don't think the bicycle community has reached out to us and they said Franklin's not the corridor we want to use. We don't think cyclists really need to be in intermixed with that type of traffic. So the preferred option that we're looking at is having one car each way with continuous left turn lane and then parking on each side. What I would say is we have looked at this and we need to make sure we can digest it more. So we're going to do additional modding. We're going to get a consultant in that's done this type of conversion before and get them to model it and make sure that the preferred option, what we've heard feedback from the community that they would like to see, will actually work. So the, the traffic flow assumptions we're asking the consultant to look at is maybe the removal of the traffic signal at 7th and 9th and putting stoplights there. We're also looking at uh, improvements to the tra traffic infra infrastructure that complements pedestrian movement with that of vehicles. If you ever see a pedestrian on Franklin right now, it's very difficult for them to get across because you're talking about four lanes plus parking that's a large effort, especially somebody that may be elderly that tries to get across that in intersection. So that's when I say development-wise, Franklin would be enhanced to have two-way traffic because we think we can control traffic flow a lot better. We can narrow that corridor that you have to walk across. So instead of walking across a 56-foot wide corridor, you're walking across 24 feet. So where we're at is it was identified in the 1920 pavement management program. We're looking at doing pavement rehabilitation. We're looking at doing ADA components, which is curb ramps. We're looking at approved vehicle detection systems at all intersections. And then we all hear about the BRT. It's going to come, and Franklin is a corridor they'd like to use. So we're looking at how that intermixes with the design that we've got at hand. The anticipated schedule is that we will begin design, I'd say within two weeks, been approved by council. We want to onboard, as I said before, a professional team to further analyze just one lane each direction to make sure that will function in the way that we'd like to see. We want to target late winter to bid the project, and we want to start construction early 2021 or maybe even before that if, if other projects come online soon. And then we talk about Dutton, and again, Dutton is one that we've heard from the community. This is pretty much the typical conditions you see. You've seen a lot of patchwork, a lot of alligator cracking. What alligator cracking means is that substructure is starting to fail. That means that needs to be rebuilt. And you see that up and down that corridor. I think Wiley had mentioned it's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> and I think he's being gentle when he says that, because it can be challenging especially if you're in a traffic mode with a lot of other traffic. So this is Dutton in the hole. We're going to do it in phases because of cost. So we're going to be looking at 11th Street to 26th Street. We'll complement the 26th Street improvements that we have. And then a phase two project that we do later in the year or possibly in the next year would be from 26th Street to our city limits. It'll be roadway re rehabilitation that replaces a lot of your drainage infrastructure. So we don't talk about a lot of drainage when we talk about pavement, so we've got a huge investment in drainage. But it also is gonna do a lot of improvements to our water and sewer infrastructure. 
If you live along there, those square cuts, that's usually related to a utility. And it's not always water or sewer. It can be atlas, but we have a lot of cuts and we'd like to repair those. Just an overview. And this is our type of commitments for the phase one project. So phase one, you can see the bottom line, it's going to run about $6.7 million. And just street improvements, we're looking at about 1.5 of your $7 million that we said we'd be doing in that phase one. And then you're looking at water, sewer, you're looking at combined engineering. So the total project is a pretty expensive project, $6.7 million. So phase one, where we're, where we're headed, phase one engineering has uh, been authorized by council and KPA is working heavily on that project. Uh, again, the construction cost is about 5.3. It'll be a milling overlay with full depth pavement repair. So what that means is you're taking out about 12 inches of material and you're putting back new structure for about 12 inch depth. It's got curb ramps, we'll comply with ADA at all your intersections. We've got improved vehicle detection that all signalized intersections. And again, combination projects, we're trying to almost recreate the roadway system that was originally built. So we'll start with water sewer and we'll build it all the way back up, just like you see on 26th Street. It's a challenge. It definitely impacts the public. It definitely impacts your route to and from. But we think it's a huge investment and we've heard your wishes. So, Final design, fall 2019, late spring will bid of 2020. We think uh, it's about an eight month project. Uh, it'll start early summer of 2020. And uh, then we'll start evaluating phase two once we get phase one underway. Yes, sir. Uh, what type of foundation does Dutton have now? Is it just gravel? So I will say this, our forefathers, um, <laughs> you know, I'm wild. <laughs> he's up there. He's, he's young. <laughs> People way, way before our time, they made a decision to put cement-treated base into our system. Cement? Cement-treated base. So it's a base material, heavy rock, small aggregate, interlocked with cement. And what that does, it almost creates a cement street. So... What you'll notice about cement is before you drive away, it's going to crack. Well, that's what cement treated base does. So cracking on the type of system you have here is not unusual. Where, you, where it is unusual is where you see, start seeing things move. So our problem is not the structure of the road so much as it is what's underneath that road. Yeah. We have a lot of flat, fatty clays. We have a lot of loose sand. But one thing about District 2, if you drive it, the roads are completely, they have a different feel, and that's because you have a different type of material underneath it. But most of that material is not suitable structurally for you to be able to have a road that lasts, what we'd like to see is a road that lasts about 50 years before you have to reconstruct it. In District 2, it's going to be a challenge to do that. So we are looking at new types of materials to put into that, which would be maybe cement tree base on the bottom, maybe a thicker top mix layer. Uh, Usually it's been eight and two. So eight in cement treated base, two inches of hot mix. Now we're looking at maybe going six of cement treated base, five of hot mix, and then even put an additional surface course on. Well, that's why your cost gets up a little bit higher. <coughs> so we ended up back where we started, is that I really welcome you to go to our Better Streets Waco website. We really want to hear from the community. We use an algorithm-based program that council has invested in. 
great investment because it uses about 10,000 rows of data from like Excel and puts them into a program that analyzes our entire system. But that's not, that's not you. That's not this community. That's not you giving us that feedback. We know how important that is. So we want to hear from you. So at the bottom of this website, again, Better Streets Waco, we have an email us link. So I'd welcome you to go to the email link and what's nice about it, you can put photos in, but we'd like to hear what roads do you, as District 2, feel like need our attention most. The rest of Bagby. And, and we, ironically, we were talking about this just earlier today. Yeah, from Kendrick, uh, over to Valley Mills Drive, very poor shape, very poor. And it is a, it's not a reclamation, which you'll hear, where you go back and just rebuild it. It's actually, you, you tear it all the way down and you just construct it over again. Uh, if you drive that road in wet weather, I, I feel I feel what you're telling me, because there's ponding everywhere, and you have to try to get through that and like, We've lived in the Kendrick area for 20 years, and we've just seen that road get worse and worse with the development of the of the mall where HEB's at Pass now. Through. The traffic there is just getting has gotten. I mean, it, it's good traffic. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it, but it's got it's increased from where we were at 20 years ago when we first bought our house in that area. So yeah, the streets are just. It is, it is definitely on our radar. I hope the ride on the new section of Bagby is, is meeting everybody's expectations. But I'll just tell you this. We use this website as a way. I mean, if you give us feedback that you've got a concern about drainage or the drive approach or uh, we don't have enough delineation out there or you think the speed, we, we want to hear from you. It doesn't have to always be about streets. It can be about utilities. It can be about drainage. It can be about signing. It can be about traffic signals. It can be about the, the lack of pedestrian elements in and around your schools. Well, y'all tell us, and that gives us great information for us to absorb, study, bounce off each other, and make sure we are making the right decisions and where each dollar we have. They're precious to us. Just because we get more money doesn't mean that we are wasteful. We really want to make the right decisions with every dollar that we receive. And I'll say, that's why Teresa has been hired for the position. It's a new position in public works. She goes through all that data and she challenges us at meetings and makes sure that we are looking at the words that we've heard from the community. Appreciate that. Yes, sir. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. There's been some discussion uh, with people who live in Dutton. Uh, there's, a, there's a school there named Cesar Chavez. And Cesar Chavez, one of our great Hispanic leaders, just like Martin Luther King. And we're, we're, uh, we're talking about the idea of changing the name Dutton from Levin Street all the way up to, to Valley Mills and naming it uh, Cesar Chavez Avenue. And what process would we have to go through to do that? And, and I don't know the exact steps today, but I, I have heard that uh, statement before. And Teresa's documenting everything that y'all feed us back with. We will investigate that and we'll get the right answer, answers to the council members. Okay. And, and he can share that with you, yes, sir. I don't think it costs that much, maybe uh, 30 uh, street signs. And if you want to, we can get a stencil and just throw over it. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think the, the biggest challenge is, is with the postal service, is making sure that everybody's comfortable with you know, how they receive mail. But we'll 
there is an investment into your neighborhood of making sure that everybody's you know complementary to that to that change. And it's not really the title; it's more how they receive correspondence and mail and, and other maps and things of that sort. So, we'll, but we will dig into that a little deeper. That's my commitment. Would you need a petition from the neighborhood? I, let Let me get a little more information, and I, I promise you, we'll we'll get that back before the end of the week. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, my mom lives on 10th Street between Clay and Webster, and Magnolia's, you know, just magnificent. They did all 9th Street and whatever around there. 10th Street is just horrible. The driveways are too high. The streets are having holes in it now. And the people from Magnolia, well, the visitors, do come and park on our areas and the streets. So why is 11th Street all fixed up nice and pretty? 9th Street's all fixed up nice and pretty. But 10th Street is just horrible. So what we, what we tell with the pavement program, we would love to do them all at one time. <laughs> but what our commitment is, and we've studied this on a routine basis, is that we'll be in front of every business, home, property within 7 to 10 years. That's our commitment. And where you fall into that may be sooner than 7 years. Uh, we really want feedback. Uh, I'll tell you that she won't be alive anymore for you to see that. Yes, She'd like to see it today, tomorrow. The, the one that I've gotten a lot of complaints about is Cleveland, going from 15th between the two schools, between Bells Hill and, and Cedar Shop Bay. But there's no drainage infrastructure, there's no drive approaches, there's um, a lot of pavement that's deteriorated. So, uh, but that was based on feedback that got us out there doing the legwork. So, uh, Teresa's writing down 10th Street. I can already see her typing it over there. So. <laughs> We will get out there. I think you know, and there are people that I just the other day I saw somebody just, I mean, ram the car, I mean, just rip up the car real fast and go down 10th, past Clay, and go down to, I think the first three is Ross. I mean, she was just trucking it out of there. And there's no children around that area, but still, one of the elderly people could have been, you know, getting their car or whatever, and they'd be gone. Absolutely. So <laughs> we'll, we'll look into that. And I know stop signs, that's always a big issue because a lot of our four way intersections right. are, do not have stop signs because they yeah, used they to be in a more local community. Now that's grown so much that so you have a lot of transportation modes that go from IH 35 over to Franklin or go to Webster. Or so we see that happening. And a lot of that okay. development is driving that. So we need to look at all of our interior roads and make sure they're not just that local field type road. We've done some of that around Waterburger and some of those areas where we put in additional stop signs to try to cut the speed, try to control, stop, start, you know, people accounting for the pedestrians. That Clay and Forth was wonderful. <laughs> Let me tell you, that was a that was a dream right there. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll get out there and look at 10th Street, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate being here tonight and uh, always feel welcome to, to reach out to our office. Thank you.
thank y'all uh, for giving me a quick moment to talk to you uh, about something that I know for District 2 in South Waco is very important, and, and that's our Waco Park System. And, um, I, and I brag about our South Waco Community Center and also Kendrick Park all the time because uh, just the sense of ownership that, that y'all have. But a quick moment, I want to introduce myself. I am Jonathan Cook, the Director of Parks and Recreation. And I've been with the City of Waco now for 18 years and in the Parks and Recreation Department, but have just recently had the opportunity to step into our director's role. And um, I have to give a little bit of credit where credit is due. And, and it's a lot of the work that our Public Works Department and Jim has done. And, and seeing how they've taken all of these road projects and street projects and really put together a vision. And, and so I must admit, we did a little mimicking of that. But we have a new initiative that we're launching within our park system. And that is called It Starts in Parks. And uh, I tell you, there's four components of It Starts in Parks. And, and it really does, it's a foundation for our quality of life. And number one, it's a health aspect. Um, you know, it's where we go to get a little stress relief from the day, where we go and spend time with our family, families, where we teach our kids to ride their bikes. But then it's also community. And that speaks to what I was talking about with Kendrick in South Waco. Um, parks are really where our communities can come together and join. And we have economies. Uh, now parks, and we're going to talk about the suspension bridge, there's a, a, an economy and economic benefit from events that we put on, but more so it's about neighborhoods. Uh, we all know that if you have a park next to your home, what that can do to the value of your house and also the feel of your neighborhood. And then finally we talk about the environment when we're talking about parks. And um, obviously there's the nature component, uh, that's true, is where we learn about our waterways, different flora and fauna, fauna, but also environment. We talk about cultural and artistic components of our community are really have their place here in parks. So, and looking forward, we have a lot of park projects going on. Not as many as street and public works, but we're really trying here <laughs> because we know they are very important. And a couple things that we're working on right now, we have our camera park Zoo Sculpture Trail. If you've been down University Parks, uh, you're seeing uh, construction taking place all up and down the Riverwalk right now. And we have 29 art sculptures uh, that are really privately funded, and they're now going in to really create a connection piece from Indian Spring Park to the Cameron Park Zoo. Um, a variety of different artists, different mediums, really going to be an attraction piece for us along that Riverwalk. We're also doing a project at Greenwood Cemetery. And uh, looking at, we have, I believe, four or five city-owned cemeteries throughout the city. Greenwood Cemetery has been on our list a long time. We're doing a perimeter fencing, some new entrances going into the cemetery, and, and really some improvements on the landscaping side of things. Trailblazer Park is another one we have going on. That's Highway 84. Uh, about six years ago, we did the Cotton Belt Trail going out towards McGregor, but we're going to be making improvements out of Trailblazer Park. But then we get to some fun stuff I know y'all are a little more interested in. We got Kendrick Park. And back in March, we completed phase one of that project. And we are coming back for phase two. And what we have at phase two is going to be going on soon. We've got 100% of the design plans in. We're going to be adding lighting um, along the trailway and the practice field area. We're also going to be adding some benches going along the walking trail. And then refurbishing that backstop. So uh, we've been fortunate to have some grant money to where we're going to be coming into Kendrick Park. And as I mentioned, we've got the new splash pad that's in effect right now. And it really is. I'm amazed anytime you drive by that park how much usage it gets. Um, it is a neighborhood park, but I tell you what, it's a community park for everyone. 
Um, all the radar, Bradley did a job in mentioning we have our inclusive part, and we're looking at the Ford Casey site. Um, a lot of it seems, and, and just inclusive means it's an adaptive playground for all types of people, really all ages, and, and we have a great opportunity right there for some connectivity with the Floyd Casey site. Um, and uh, just so you know, a, a project we're working on at the Floyd Casey at, at Hart Patterson Track is um, going to be opening up a walking club. And uh, this is a project our athletics office is now stationed out of the offices at the track facility. But we've got a program that we're going to be launching this next year where the public can come out and walk that track facility to make sure it's a great exercise spot, you've got a safe feel, and it's a great facility and we think it's an important part to that development as well. And then on the radar, um, uh, we have Cotton Palace Park, and I know we're all, we were talking about Dutton, and I see those, and Cotton Palace Park is really identified through our needs assessment as a park that we have to be in the future looking at. Um, and, and right now, uh, you've got the old uh, Cotton Palace ball fields, Waco Rampages out there, and then it connects on the top side, you have the playground, there's uh, the school right there, and, and I talk about it's a clean slate. Uh, we really see it as a lot of land and parkland with everything that's going on is very important to what we're doing. But uh, while we're here today, let's talk about the Waco Suspension Bridge. And this is a project that is in the works and uh, really an icon for our city. And I know you've probably taken, there's a tradition of taking a first date out there. Uh, you know, the first kiss, there's marriages, there's family reunions, there's concerts. We do our annual Symphony of Ohio concert here. And uh, it is really our icon. It is what people really uh, synonymous with Waco. Uh, you know, the silos have really taken a little bit of the thunder. But I tell you what, when I think Waco, I don't see silos. I still see the suspension bridge. And we have a big project. Uh, this bridge, 150 years ago, uh, it takes its historical landmark. And uh, back in the day, it was cattle and wagons. The Chisholm Trail crossed the market. It became a national landmark in 1970. And really remains a very important lead for not only downtown, our whole community, the East Waco as well. And to our Riverwalk. Uh, it's one of those, I call it uh, really a crossroads, you know, where you got old school. You can go either direction. You can go towards Baylor, Cameron Park, East Waco, downtown. And that's what the suspension bridge serves for us. So very important. And we want to maintain this legacy. Uh, you know, it was an iconic structure, but look back then before 1914, uh, it was sort of where we were at uh, in the beginnings was sort of, it looked like a castle to me. But uh, the structure and the toll houses here, these structures came in after, and that's where these current cables came in. With these cables that we're talking about, uh, 100 years old. And so what we're looking at is replacement there, and it's really a modification that's overdue. I love this picture right here, by the way. Look how high that river was. <laughs> Crazy to me. I've got some old pictures in here. Tom did a great job. But I really tell the story of the bridge. Um, we've had a lot of uses. I mentioned the trail. Up in the 1970s, and I'm sure some folks, you can still drive across the bridge. Uh, we had Gerald Ford, former president. He spoke uh, on the bridge. Uh, plenty of press conferences and different uh, representatives. Uh, at the, we did do a project in 76, 1990, and then also 95. And then in 2013, we came and redid the lights. Um, gave it an update with the LED lights, and we're able to maintain that historical feel. Uh, but then you hear, look, 20 years, uh, this decay on this bottom picture. I tell the story, uh, last year we hosted our first Ironman event. And uh, that's a big triathlon, all these people from around the world running. So I was in the command center, and uh, all of a sudden we get a call, and we're like, 
one of the boards just popped up and we've got runners crossing. So we had to run out there. I actually went out there myself and we got sandbags and we had to put sandbags on top of these boards because they started popping up in the middle of the race. So uh, we've gone through, we have repaired it, but that's where we're looking at the future. We know it's time for some improvements in this kitchen. We went started in 2017 and uh, a project like this is one that you really have to dot your I's and cross your T's because of the historical significance and uh, it's been some challenges but we uh, hired a firm and, and really assessed our priorities with it and we came up with five different areas that we focused on. Now, I mentioned the cable system over a hundred years old of steel cables. We've got the towers also the steel and when I say the steel I'm talking about the loads on the sides of the bridge and then the wood decking and then the anchor houses which we'll look at in a second. Um, the cable system very interesting, you know, it's like that braided feel, and they've got 25 wires in each section, and then it's twisted together. And these, if you look at these pictures, come about 20 feet down in the ground that these go. And we've even done, when looking at the structural engineering, some of these are tied to old cedar logs that are buried down in. So uh, obviously these are what support the bridge, being a suspension bridge, it's anchored on each side going down into the ground. Uh, so, it's, for being so old school, it's pretty complicated and really amazing to me to think about it. But I want you to look at some of the rusting that's coming in on some of them when we pour into it. Then we have the towers. Uh, we need to do some work on the towers. Uh, you can see the old castle outline came in and added to it, really added on. We are going to be maintaining really the, the appearance that you see now. We're really a freshening up. You have some cracking taking place, um, and we're going to be addressing that as well. You see some pictures underneath of the old <coughs> bricks, and just over time, we've seen the wear and tear. The steel systems, uh, we're going to be looking at, at the railings when we do the decking and shoring that up at the same time, and then also the trestling. And you can see there's just rust um, over time that is accumulating. And I go back to this decking. We've got uh, up to 50% uh, deterioration. You, you can see where we come in. Um, I have to say we patchwork it. Uh, and just over time, we go back, we lay new boards in. But uh, you can really see some of the gap. I had my little three-year-old out there uh, the other day, and I was like, oh, my foot's going to fall in. And we're like, no, we gotta, we're going to get that. But it's a constant repair. We're always out there looking at it. And uh, it's really something with the decking that we want to make sure it lasts for another 150 years, if not more. And uh, finally, the other component we looked at were the anchor houses. And uh, I, I always find out, I know a few people, it's not a public area, but when you go into these anchor houses, you walk in, and it's like walking into like a, a basement. So it's real musty, it's cold, and it really maintains, you know, really holds the moisture. And what we've seen, obviously, you know, when you have a brick uh, that's years, and, and Tom's mentioned, like, the, the composure of what the brick consists of, it's a sandy element, and so they're starting to flake. You can start to, you hit your finger on it, you know, and it flakes a little bit. And so it's really, we've got to come in and take care of the, what we've got going on in these anchor systems and in these toll houses. Now with that, uh, we did use TIF funds and got allocated for 5.0 million for these construction efforts. And uh, we say we want to make sure it's preserved as an iconic public destination for present and future destinations. 
this project, and I'm going to let Tom speak a little bit on the specific nature. Um, I'll invite you up here just again because he's way more technical than I am. I can paint a pretty picture, but really quickly, I want Tom to give a little bit going to the planned improvements that we have. So, um, I get excited about the technical side. <laughs> but uh, I think there's a helpful image to, to help people get oriented in uh, what kind of impact it's going to have to the overall function of the downtown park space. Uh, this is University Parks. We're going to restrain the construction area pretty tightly on the cable houses themselves. So the remainder of the park will be available and we'll still be able to host our public events, uh, like our concerts. And so some of our races will obviously still be impacted, but our intention is to have as light of a footprint as possible while we're working. Um, and so going through some of those same categories to kind of describe more fully where we're working, this is a good slide to talk about the entire decking of the bridge is, is in need of replacement. So that wood deck that we all know and love right now, um, what it's also doing is holding moisture against the steel that holds the bridge up. And so uh, if that steel were compromised with the same degree of uh, rust and decay that we're starting to see on some of the railing and other steel components, we could have a project that's three times as expensive. And so one of our main goals with this project is to preserve the steel structure underneath the wood deck. And so the recommendation is to try a different format. So instead of a wood deck in the main portion of the bridge, it's going to be basically a waterproof concrete deck, a shallow concrete deck that's textured to emulate the same look and feel that we have. It's gonna have some color to it. It's uh, gonna be grooved in a similar pattern as the wood that's out there. Um, however, it's going to have stainless steel rebar in it, it's going to have a fiberglass deck pan, and it's no longer going to be holding, uh, it's no longer going to be absorbing water and holding it against that steel. So that's the main benefit. Um, the, the classic wood style that's on the sides, uh, the catwalks that are immediately adjacent to the railings, that's still going to be wood, so that's still going to retain the very classic feel, but it's going to be a specialty hardwood that will hold up very well in our brutal sun, and also will have a lot of properties that prevent it from absorbing and holding moisture. Um, there's also some surrounding site work. There's a, there's a retaining wall that is severely cracked on the downtown side near the springs. That will need attention. Um, we understand the towers. There's some cracking and brickwork that needs to be tended to. There's also new flashings going on all the horizontal surfaces or the top of the towers that's necessary. Um, there's also some interesting work to go in where the cables go up and over the tower. Um, there's openings at the very top. We've had some habitation by owls and pigeons in the past. Well, as fascinating as that may be, it's not great for the cables because as they make themselves at home, uh, certain materials build up that are corrosive to the saddle and the cables themselves. So we've got work to do. Uh, one of our more complicated components turned out to be tending to the railing um, and some of the other steel on the project because some of our partners, many of our partners, are involved to ensure that the historical integrity of the structure is maintained. Um, this is not just a Texas um, landmark, it's a national landmark. Uh, for a time, this was the longest span west of Mississippi. Uh, this was the same cabling system that was prototyped here and later used successfully on the Brooklyn Bridge. So there's a lot of significance to the history and the engineering that went into this, and, and we have a responsibility to preserve as much of that as we can. Uh, and 
And so working with our partners at the Texas Historical Commission, partnering with our local Historic Landmark Preservation Commission, uh, the, the task really became, okay, how can we meet modern requirements and, and safety codes and things like that without negatively affecting the, the iconic look and feel of the bridge and retaining as many of the original materials as possible too. So that became elementary to the conversation about anything steel. We wanna keep as much of that steel as possible. And so with the railings, um, basically we're creating a new uh, fabric that will overlay the existing openings and, and bring those openings down to a manageable size. I'm sorry, I've not been following the slides real closely, but um, I promise I'll touch on that again when I get a railing picture. But real briefly, with the, the decking, um, once upon a time, when this first went in, the wood was there, but it was completely covered. Uh, at, at one time, it was um, at one time, it was completely covered by dirt. There's a possibility that there's asphalt at, at one time. Um, there's even a newspaper comment about it having uh, oak squares laid over it like tiles. So there have been a, a variety of wearing surfaces, but that was made sense because if you had a lot of cattle running across this bridge, every hoofbeat was going to gouge into that wood and it was going to wear through relatively quickly. So. Um, this is kind of a detail of the architect's, or the engineer's vision about how the decking system will work. The classic wood decking on the side, um, a, a shallow deck pan in the middle spans that laid on top of the steel. Um, the cabling system, as Jonathan mentioned, over 100 years old. Uh, one of the very neat things about this is that the structures on either side of the bridge, they're almost like ornamentation that just kind of disguises the very heavy footings that are there below. So 15 plus feet deep, and you'd think that'd be more than enough, but the new cabling system that is necessary to go in now requires additional structural reinforcement from that. So we're actually adding weight to the, the concrete foundations where we're digging down that full 15 foot profile, but beyond that, we're digging five foot wide columns all the way to bedrock. Uh, because those stories about the cedar posts that may be down there in the ground helping hold up the structure, that, that doesn't make our structural engineer real comfortable. So we're, we're going to do what's necessary to tie into bedrock and make sure that these new cables last at least 150 years. Um, this is kind of just a detail that shows a little bit of that describing the column as it goes down to the bedrock. But it also kind of, it's, it's been a fascinating history project. I think one of the things that the engineer had in mind is that plans produced for this project will be archival quality. Um, and not because that's what we asked him to do, but because he had to go through so much work to dig up the plans from previous efforts to know what was truly in the ground, that he wants to make, wants to make it easier for our future generations to come in um, whenever they have to do a repair project. They'll know specifically what was done for this project. So this diagram kind of explains you know, we've got different generations of concrete in the ground. We've got different generations of structure above it. Um, so it was complicated, it was fascinating, and we've, we've got to consolidate it all in one place now. So that's great. But in summary, looking forward, our projected schedule, um, to recap, we on Tuesday, October 29th, this went out for advertising to bidders. We've had a tremendous response so far. The questions and the interest comments have all been rolling in. Tomorrow we have our pre-proposal meeting where we get to meet face-to-face -face with all of our interested bidders, answer any questions they may have. Uh, we're trending towards December 19th is when we get to get into the bid responses themselves. There's a pre-qualification process that happens in there before that. 
uh, to make sure that any team that wants to work on this project, they have to prove that they're very qualified and they put together the best team. We've, we've done a good job, the, the city and council has done a great job of making sure that we're empowered for this project to select a design team that's excellent and we want to carry that excellence forward into the construction. So the pre-qualification will absolutely help us do that. Um, all that could lead to a January 7th council meeting to request um, award of the contract to our low bidder um, and in anticipating that by the end of January, we'll have our paperwork in place for the contractor to actually get, get out there, get on site, and start mobilizing for the project. Um, all in all, we're tracking towards project completion to get this thing reopened by October 2021. That's our goal here. So uh, we believe we've structured this in every way possible to support that schedule. Um, and we're really excited to see how the bidding process unfolds and, and, and meet these qualified teams. and. Honestly, it's a once-in-a-lifetime project for this community, so I think it's something we can all be excited about. Thank you. And, I, and I'll just close out, and much like Jim has done, uh, you know, we do have our historic support website on our Parks and Recreation at Waco-Texas.com to where we're including all of our park, park projects, so you can see a timeline, especially with this project. Giving you an idea of where we're at, uh, what's currently going on. As you can tell, we've got a lot of historical interest. Um, but also, I have to credit Tom, and he's been on this project since day one. And, and Tom just recently uh, been now with the city and our department for 10 years. Uh, pretty amazing right now. We've, we've got upwards of 20 different park projects going on, and, and Tom leads all of those. And this was one that, uh, such a specialized project, and appreciate the work that you do to put all this together. And uh, it's something exciting. We think it's going to have a, a big impact. We are living it up to two years closure, but it's just that, once again, it's an investment that we have to make. So with any other questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Yes, sir. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, there was some talk about subcontracting the Parks and Recreation Department mm -hmm. and uh, to, a, to somebody else. Of course, most of the employees would go with it. Uh, is, is there still some talk about that? I haven't heard that conversation, and I've been around in the department for 18 years, but we are always looking at certain areas of the department to where we can perhaps be more efficient. Um, we do uh, some outsourcing on some mowing areas. I know too, our fire stations and different landscaping operations. Uh, we're always looking at efficiency, but uh, as far as our core operations and maintaining the parks, I think uh, we're here to stay for right now. Good. Yes, ma'am. I just want to thank you for Kendrick uh, Park I'm the principal across the park at Kendrick Elementary, and 530 kids enjoy the park. Well, we love it. We love it. We try to use it as much as we can. We used it for field day. We're even, we recently went to an Apple, we're an Apple um, campus, yeah. and so we went to an Apple conference, and Jim Cook is, or what's the, Tim Cook, I don't even know, the yeah, uh, Apple man is, yeah. was real big about, about parks, about yeah. using your parks, and so the teachers and I were, um, planning on how we're going to use it, so we're going to have the kids go over, and they, there's QR codes yeah. where it takes you to videos on how to exercise. Correct. And so we're going to be using it even more, and we want the kids Love to it. start creating videos and movies and pages and keynotes about what they're looking at the park. 
I mean, we don't want to, we want them to be creative. So thank you very much for everything you're doing. We love the park. Love, uh, love, love. Now that, that makes me great. Yes. That's why, that's, it makes it worth it. And that's yes. why I love this job. <laughs> the QR codes are a great collaboration with our health department. And uh, I'm going to mention, I was reading City of Dallas, uh, they came out to where they have a collaboration with their school district. Uh, because just of how it improves the health and the education of the kids to have a playground with trees or, or to have walking trails. And it's such a component, Jolene, beyond the book. So excellent and yes, very nice to meet you. I appreciate your comments. Anyone else? Awesome. I think we have one more. So thanks for sitting tight. Exciting stuff. So we'll get it set up before. No, he he went. We had some good news. He did. He went up. He's had some uh, problems with his kidney, and they did a X-ray on him, and they saw something going on his kidney. Yeah, so he's checking to see if it was cancer, but it wasn't. That's good.
Additionally, this is a, a, a program that is simple. It takes about five minutes to register for the program. There's no cost to do that. There's no obligation. But people on average who switch in, in the state of Texas through this program will save about $375 annually. In Waco in particular, people who have already switched can save about $500 um, again, it's a very simple process. Um, our next auction is coming up on January 28th. We don't have to register before the 27th and the public 28th, but we do encourage you to because, again, the more people that register, the greater our chances are of obtaining a low rate. It makes us more attractive to the providers and they will be more aggressive about how they bid for women to pursue it. After the auction, we will send personal offers out to everyone who registered, letting you know what the winning rate is and how much you could, you could potentially save um, over three years. Um, it's at that point that you decide whether or not you want to accept the offer. If it works for you, that's great. If it doesn't, that's, that's great too. But it is another option. Um, if you choose to accept the offer and switch to the next provider, we will take care of the entire switch. Um, a question that I get quite a bit is, if I switch, um, will my service be arrested? No. It's simply a transactional package in the background. The service, regardless of, of whether you switch here or to a different provider, your service will never be arrested. You don't have to take my word for it. We've had quite a number of um, Waco residents participate thus far, and this nice gentleman, James Tucker, provided this, um, this feedback to our survey. And after his first electric bill, um, he was paying half of what he was paying with his previous Good news. Um, I did not put my phone number on here or my contact information, but I'm very happy to share that. This is the contact information for our call
we would be working with the retail electric providers. So that person or that group will get the 10,000 people that they, they get that big, and that's the incentive for the electric providers, right? Is that they're not having to spend marketing money. Sometimes people are disguised as representatives of the 
lucky I have them on my team. I want to give them some kudos I excuse. Big trouble. Um, so the city secretary's mission is to provide knowledgeable, efficient, and respectful service to our entire public, to our council, and to city staff, working with every department in our um, in the city. And uh, many of you I've met, many of you have come into my office or given me a call, and we do our very best to give you the information that you need. Uh, solicitation permits are filed in our office and they come in and it should be looked at and tweaked and see what we can do. Um, if you put a sign, I'll tell you this, if you put a sign in your yard or in your window that says no solicitation, they cannot solicit as part of our ordinance. Um, so just FYI, if you need some more information, maybe we just need to let a job of letting you know what's in that ordinance. So note taken. So the reason, and one of the other things is we do public information requests, we do uh, coordinate elections in our office, uh, council administrative support, and other duties as assigned, which is why I'm here. Uh, so in July of 2020, Mayor Deaver appointed the 2020 Census Complete Council Committee. Uh, council member Savito is on it, and this is the only picture of Dale that I can find anywhere. <laughs> as a previous city manager, he's on the chair of the committee. Uh, Tayuna Maya is also co-chair of the committee. She is no longer with the station, but she is at Killing ISD, but continues to love the community, as she reminds us all the time. She still lives in the community, and she wants to uh, continue to participate. So we're very, very fortunate to have this group of really smart, busy showgoers. So we have, um, the mission was to remind everybody that the census is going to take place in 2020, to remind everyone that everyone in Waco should be counted, and to let everyone know in the community that uh, there are jobs for our local community. About 1,500 uh, individuals should be hired between January and March to help facilitate the, the, the census. And so we want to make sure everyone in the community knows that start applying for these jobs, they're looking for people that are neighbors, people that people trust, people that they don't count. Great part-time jobs, great full-time. You've heard that the unemployment rate is such that it's hard to fill positions, especially the full-time. So they're looking for um, qualified individuals, and I'll give you some information later about where you can go. Uh, there's some flyers. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about over at that table uh, because we're going to need your help. So some things to know about the census make sure I get my notes here, is that it counts everybody in the United States as the same year. It's in the United States Constitution. It happens every 10 years. Um, it is responsible, it's been going on since 1790. The results are used for reappointment, well, for reapportioning the House of Representatives, determining how many seats, seats every state gets. 62. It's our civic duty, civic duty. It is really great. It's our civic duty, and it's uh, going to be used for redistricting notes, not only at the national and at the state level, but for local level. So after the census is complete, in 2021, we begin working on our local um, redistricting efforts and, and working with um, our attorneys to make sure, and our partners with the school district, with MCC, to make sure that we have a, um, a legal redistricting of our community. So those numbers really matter. Uh, it's going to be easier than ever to complete the census. It's the first time they can do it by phone. You can do it online, or you can request request a paper copy. Uh, so another thing that's really important, and it's really um, fortuitous that all these other presentations we have been before, this presentation, because every 
one of those presentations. The resources for streets, for parks, the resources for sidewalks to schools, our schools, all of that is going to rely on the data that we collect in uh, 2020. And what is um, our goal and our mission as a community is to realize that 25 to 30% of our community is not counted or is undercounted. Uh, the communities of color, children under the age of five. There's a, a group of um, pockets of uh, hard to count, undercounted populations that aren't going to be represented if, if they're not completing the census. And so we want to make sure that we're sharing that information with you and that you're helping us share that information with everyone. presentations that happened, and I know that um, we have the best city team ever, and I have a network, I work with a network of city secretaries across the state, and I hear what they say and what they're working with, and I know without a doubt that I work in the best community, I work with the best team of professionals, I work with the best council in the state, and I know that they don't have enough resources to do what they do, but they do it so well. Uh, and this it's going to be so important to get everybody counted uh, for the next 10 years. If you think about, for every person not counted, we're going to lose $1,578 per person per year. So you look at the next 10 years for people that aren't counted, um, over $20 million, $21 million that we can lose out of our um, community resources that are going to be really important to us in the future. So that's just a fun fact. Um, so here's another fact. Children under the age of five had the highest undercount of any age group in the 2010 census. Oh, so we want to make sure that their children, our children, are for the future are counted so that we can get the resources for insurance, hospitals, childcare, food assistance, schools, planning for everything that affects our future children. Um, everyone living in your hometown. So if you're like my boy Rush, you have all of some cousins staying over, Brima's, uh, uh, her sister. And so we, we were a community of family, and sometimes you may not want to put down how many people are living in there. Don't talk to the young people, because I'm sure everyone is actually following the rules. But sometimes there may be more people living in that apartment complex that they feel like they shouldn't put that information down. Or if you're about to have a child, and the child will be born on April 3rd, that baby counts as part of the census. So it's information like that that we want to make sure our community is aware of and feels safe. And then Isabella from um, Kendrick is, is trusted by her school, by the families in the school, and she's going to be a fantastic resource to make sure that we can get everyone in that community who may have some fear to help us count that. I know that I've talked to, um, I'm going to still present to a group of uh, administrators and teachers of them understand the importance of the census. So thank you and board for that support and superintendent. Okay, so it's everybody, newborns, grandparents, your friends, everyone counts. And the responses are safe. They have to, they by law, all census workers have to swear an oath that's up to $250,000 penalty and up to five years in prison if they reveal any of the information that's collected in the census. Now the data is provided. The numbers that we need for planning and for developers to come to Waco to build the, that wonderful development that Bradley was talking about. Those, they use those numbers to think about, if my community currently now is this number, 
what is our population going to be like over the next 10 years? And so that information is available. But any identical, identifiable information from you or your family will not be revealed. It's against the law. They can't do it for 72 years. And at that point, they release it so that uh, your future great-great-grandchildren can do their genealogy tree and find out who is living in this community at this time. So again, Census 2020 is going to count everyone uh, one time and where they are, where they're living on April 1st. And it's completely different. It's going to shape our future for the next 10 years. And obviously, I've said a lot of this. I'm going to show you a few pictures, a couple of different cut of your hearts, and say this about our community and our family. So how can individuals respond to the census? They can respond again by phone. They can, use, they can pick up the number and call it. It's in every language possible. Um, you're going to get a letter that looks like this. It's going to invite you to complete the census. It'll give you a code. You can go online, fill out the form. I have samples of the form. I can't remember if I brought the sense in English version. I think I did it. I didn't really get it to you. It takes five minutes for a family of four. If you're a family of more who are living in that home, and it, could, it may not even be a family member. It could be my best friend whose husband kicked her out for the weekend, and she's going to be staying with me for a few months. That person counts where they are on April 1st. And so it might take a little longer to fill in the number of people that are living in that household at that time, but we want to make sure that everyone understands. Put every person down. We don't want to be undercounted in our community. Uh, so here's a sample. It's in English and in Spanish. You can go online. You can look at it. We have samples over here. You want to try and see how fast it is so that you become experts on the census. How likely would it be for some for you to fill out the census? Here's some of the percentages. If you're between 18 and 34, and think about it, they're only going to be 28 in 10 years. Um, and only 22% are likely to do it. 33% is uh, somewhat likely to complete the form at that age. Right? So we really want to make sure that everyone in Grayson knows the census is happening the importance of the census, and how they can do it. So you're, um, it's going to take all of us, so my solos, for us to do this. And I can't do it alone, so I'm here to ask if you're interested in helping me, and it could be something as simple as making sure your neighbors know it, hosting an event like this where I can come and, and you can have a, you might be having a Mary Kay party or a Tupperware party, I, I don't know, there's more than a couple of people there, we will come and we will share this information, and hopefully it's, we can spread the word. I think our community is very good about sharing the important information, and uh, they don't want to hear it from me. They may not want to hear it from Wiley, but they do want to hear it from their neighbors, people that they trust who understand why it's important to complete the census. So there's a Waco I count. Why is on Waco website? And you can go find out about more about the census. Learn how to become an ambassador. You can. Uh, it's in Spanish and in English. You can look up how to get a census job. There's a toolkit on there with posters and all the information, the cute pictures I have, that are on there that you can print out, put it in your, um, I mean, whatever, you take it to your church, wherever you feel like somebody should want to share it. We have postcards that you can just hand to somebody and say, hey, did you know um, that this is, if I even just challenge each of you to tell one person this week that the census is happening, uh, that's going to touch many more people than I may ever get to reach out and share the information. Uh, there's a Waco Census Ambassadors Toolkit on there. And for those who are interested, this is kind of a 
a short version of what we do at our ambassador training. We go into some of the details and we provide you with resources. And then we actually sit together in a workshop and identify the, the initiative that you can do um, for uh, helping us spread that information. And that's all I have about the census. Again, all of those resources are on that table. Um, if you're interested in being a census ambassador, let me know, sign up, um, and I can then I guess I got I the night. Uh, I know we gave you guys a lot of information. Good. Are there any questions that I can answer about anything? You got a question about it, you would like to know, please. Now is the time to ask. No? Going one. Going twice. What do you want? What are you selling? <laughs> Where's my card? <laughs> Don't forget, please take some snacks with you home. Thank you so much for being here. And if I don't see you before the holidays, Merry Christmas. I have to sign up for the crazy Did you? Yes, yeah, so, I think we start about the same time, March, April, and then all the way through July. I tell I need something to do. <laughs> I understand. Isn't that terrible? It's good to stay busy. I know. I think that's what's happened. Yeah. I got myself a lull and... I even talked to a few of you. I was in Taco. I was like, hey, somebody cooked some food for you? No, but be in a bathroom. Yeah, I'm going to show you the you're going to, and I know you can talk. Oh, no, 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 we met at the chamber luncheon. At the church. We did. No, I said not the luncheon, but at the chamber discussion. I was unmemorable. It's me. I need to reach out to you because I think we talked about some neighborhood association like leveraging you. So Daniel has Well see today we're supposed to start meetings, so I've told people that want to show up and our meetings to come here. Okay. It's saving me. It's saving our Okay, but I have your contact information, Daniel. Yeah. So I'll take you. Good. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, I know, I know where you're from. Yes, you did me. <laughs> <laughs>